Welcome back to the Tickle the Twine podcast. I'm your host, Brooks Bellman. Um, we got a great episode this week as things continue to heat up in the Western Conference playoff race. Um, we got uh, two teams that are struggling uh, to fit uh, new players into their schemes. I'm uh, going to talk a little bit about the trouble in Lakerland and what all that means and what we might see projecting forward for them. And then a couple tidbits at the end about some Eastern Conference happenings as well. Um, to jump right in, um, I'm going to start in Golden State. Uh, do we have trouble in, in the uh, Bay currently? Uh, so prior to Golden State's win on Friday against the Nuggets, the Warriors had lost five of their last eight and had shown some holes in their armor, some weaknesses, um, just generally have kind of been up and down. You know, we've seen them be have various struggles throughout the year, whether it be some fighting on the bench between Draymond and KD, or generally KD's apathy and the whole dealing with free agency in the summer and all that. Um, but this is uh, recently is kind of like the first major time where we've seen um, some struggles um, on how they're gelling on the court, at least in that the integration of um, DeMarcus Cousins seems to be taking longer and being harder than um, we initially would have expected with them. Um, and um, we've seen this pretty steadily with uh, DeMarcus um, getting attacked on defense uh, lately, especially in the game recently against the Rockets, where the Rockets were able to beat the Warriors, even though they did not have James Harden. And we saw Boogie uh, just get put in the pick and roll continuously, and Chris Paul kind of feasted off of Boogie's inability to play defense in the pick and roll. And so this is part of it. Offensively, we've also seen the Warriors struggle with um, Boogie on the floor. Um, they seem to be um, diverting some potential possessions to throw it into the post to try and get boogie going get him get him hot make him feel involved kind of and get him used to playing in their scheme and playing in their offense and beyond that using his ability to post up and score from the block and try to add that element to the offense and you know the uh trade-off we've seen with that obviously is that uh the more um possessions boogie takes down on the block the less possessions you know the two greatest shooters of all time steph and clay have or the less possessions that katie has whether it be to shoot or to come up, play off ball or to isolate and do what he does best. And so we've kind of seen these struggles um, rear their head in a pretty um, pretty pronounced way in the last couple weeks. And, and like I said, they haven't been playing up to, up to par with them. And then when you uh, drill kind of deeper um, beyond what we're seeing on the court, which is obviously a, you know, um, a, a discrepancy, a breakdown, you know, when you're just throwing the ball into the post, so consistently with DeMarcus, uh, it takes the ball out of, out of the hands of the rest of their playmakers. The post-up is becoming increasingly less efficient um, given the uh, the trade-off with how much more efficient it is to shoot threes, even at a rate that's at average or slightly below average, just because of the struggles to um, score from the post and the inefficiency related with that. And then we're obviously seeing Boogie struggle defensively with movement. Um, you know, he's come back from the injury Probably better than expected um, based on what I've seen from him, but you can still see he's he's a little bit slow and his lateral movement isn't as great um, and nearly and not what it was too. Not saying he was some kind of incredible lateral mover um, to start with, but the Achilles injury has zapped some of that for him, which is not good. Um, and so we, we definitely see this. Um, what we see uh, when you watch their games, we see it borne out in the tape as well with Boogie, um, with the Warriors. Um, 
being uh, much worse. They're about 8.2 points per 100 possessions worse with Boogie on the floor rather than with Boogie off the floor, which is a pretty good margin and something that you obviously don't want to see um, from a stud player like that. Um, this specifically rears its head on the offensive end where they're 8.6 points per 100 possessions worse with Boogie on the floor offensively. Like I said, this is likely a result of what we see where they're just trying to give him the ball more in post-ups to kind of force-feed him and kind of get him more integrated and to become a bigger part of the offense. And because of that, we're ta- they're taking out of the uh, the ball out of the hands of better guys on their team. Um, defensively, um, the numbers the numbers aren't as that much worse with Boogie on the floor, but one big, big thing that I thought jumped out at me is that teams are shooting 4.9% better from three with Boogie on the floor versus with Boogie off the floor. And so that means um, uh, the Warriors' opponents are shooting significantly better from three with Boogie while Boogie's playing. And there, there's obviously a lot of noise in the number. We've talked about how um, three-point accuracy is it can be very random and defense can affect it, but it's not well proven that the defense can severely limit it or so severely enable it um, based on the scheme and how they play. Um, still, it's a it's a pretty big number. A five percent increase is enough to at least say there's probably something at work here, and um, that something is 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 definitely Boogie getting killed on the pick and roll. You know, when opposing guards come off screens and Boogie's dropped, and they're either able to attack him or create a shot pretty easily. They can either shoot coming right off the pick, or they're going to get someone else open because the Warriors have to send help. And we're definitely seeing that borne out with these numbers as well. Um, and so that's definitely a struggle. And I think um, beyond all this, the struggles to integrate Boogie could be a sign of um, a sign of worry for them going into the playoffs. Just because you know, at this stage, we're kind of in towards the middle of, middle of March. We've got you know between fifteen and eighteen games left for most teams, and um, with that, um, and about a month of gameplay left, and so teams want, especially teams at the top of the top of their respective conferences and prepping for the playoff race, want to kind of be locking in on their best lineups, the best stuff to run, getting prepared for the um, playoffs, and kind of working out the kinks of everything they do. And what we're seeing here with the Warriors is they're not they're not even working out the kinks here; they're just still trying to make Boogie work in their system effectively, and not just um, and get him kind of one hundred percent integrated into what they do. And so they're not even to the stage of working out the kinks and finding and and uh, honing in and finding the best options. They're one hundred percent still trying to make it make him work on a consistent basis with their team, which is not good um, because you you would hope that at this point. They would be further down the line when it comes to the integration and the and the putting all everything together and to see them still slipping so severely with him on the fl- on the floor versus with off the floor is worrisome. And he's definitely got people talking about are they vulnerable? Could the Warriors maybe miss the finals? And that's perfectly um, a reasonable thing to see um, as plausibly happening. I still wouldn't write, write them off. Obviously, they're still. Uh, the best team in the league, and I still think um, when they're clicking, they're probably the best team by a wide margin. But this does um, open up holes in their holes in their um, team. It points out that um, even this week, as they went and got Andrew Bogut, so they signed another center rather than filling a void and building in wing or guard depth, which we've seen them struggle with the last couple of years. It shows that how even though taking this risk on Boogie could could be worth it in the end if Boogie's able to turn it on in the playoffs. It is a example of kind of the Warriors deviating from their usual plan and kind of spending money and taking a shot at talent versus someone who fits and works in their system. And, and we're going to see how it plays out. 
Um, obviously, right now it looks like it's looking like it's not working out as expected and as they as they would have wanted, um, which is tough for them. But it could still work itself out. Um, it's it's five million dollars that they could have used on wing depth, guard depth, something like that. Someone who fit better into their system. They obviously used it on boogie, and so we're we are where we are right now. Um, kind of given that, um, but it has opened up the Western Conference. The Rockets have been surging lately. Um, there's other good teams in the West that are playing better and better, and so hopefully um, they put it together so that we get a good playoffs. But this definitely has other teams in the West kind of looking. Um, kind of happily at the situation at the time and be like, okay, you know, they're still the most talented team. They still have staff. They still have play. They still have KD. But does this mean that they, they, they may, they might be vulnerable. We might be able to take a game or two off them, something like that. Um, and so we will have to see how that plays out, uh, through the rest of the season. Again, I would still have the Warriors as prohibitive favorites in the West until we see, um, a team honestly show the ability to put, um, Put the, put the Warriors on skates and kind of make them work in a seven-game series and show the ability to beat them um, in four four times in seven seven tries. And until then, I think they still have to be the prohibitive favorites, and I still expect them to make the playoffs, but they, or make the finals. But it still shows um, that there are weaknesses. There isn't perfection. Um, there could be some trouble out there, and we could see some shakeups. Um, in the offseason well and at the very least hopefully it'll make the uh the uh western conference playoffs and the playoffs as a whole more exciting if the warriors are kind of hampered in some way and and and, um it kind of slows them up some way somehow but it definitely uh shines a light on the fact that they've been trying to get this center spot right for years they took this big swing on boogie to see if it worked it doesn't seem to be working right now so they have to go out and get bogut and you have to go out and do all these other things and and because of their high payroll and the aging of their key role players like Iguodala and Livingston, we see their wing guard rotation suffer and their depth as a whole suffer. But moving from first in the West, um, struggling to fit in a player, to second in the West, also struggling to fit in the pl- fit in a player, we have uh, the Nuggets. <coughs> and the Nuggets remain uh, second uh, seeded in the West, but... Given Golden State's recent swoon, they had an, an, a chance to make a move for the top spot, but they weren't able to execute on that. And part of the reason um, between um, behind that is because they have also struggled um, to integrate a, a, a previous stud uh, star player coming back from an injury in Isaiah Thomas. Um, it's with Isaiah um, in the last month. Isaiah has returned from his injuries that have been kept that have kept him out after his great run with the Celtics a couple of years ago. But since returning, he's averaged only eight points on about 15 minutes a game while shooting 30, 37% from the floor and 27% from three, and averaging the same amount of turnovers as assists um, per game. And these aren't numbers that you like to see, but. I think what's harder, um, what's worse is not just the numbers that we're seeing borne out. It's just kind of the the effect of playing Isaiah Thomas, the minutes he plays, and how, how he changes the game when he's out there, and kind of how that junks up with the Nuggets. Um, the Nuggets, as a team, rank towards the top of the league when it comes to, to ball movement, and their, their kind of offense is predicated on that. You don't have a dominant point guard uh, for them. You just have a lot of playmaking guards and Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, guys like Will Barton, um, and... Uh, and stuff like that, and they run a lot of their offense through Nikola Jokic, 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 
and um, let him pass the ball and move the ball around and kind of hit their players where they're best needed. And we kind of we see that, and their offense is predicated and kind of built on this and um tempo styles and as well. And the thing with Isaiah Thomas, and this is pretty clear when you watch him, and then the minutes he gets for Denver, he's a ball stopper. He kills the ball movement, and he go he wants to isolate. He wants to attack off the dribble. Um, he wants to work in that way, and it's not one hundred percent. Doesn't one hundred percent work perfectly with their scheme and how their scheme already works, and so that kind of throws kind of a wrench into how they play. Um, additionally, it is taking minutes away from a guy like Monte Morris, who's been uh, just stationally the backup point guard in 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 denver and has been really solid for the nuggets all year but the trade-off is well we want to get it rehabilitated the assumption is that it has got a higher ceiling if he can put it all together and kind of return to his old form and so they want to give him that minutes to try those minutes to try and knock off the rust which is completely understandable but you do get this trade-off where where you're having it come in he messes up your your the flow of the offense he messes up how you play offense in general and at the same time, you're taking minutes away from guys that have been solid. You're messing with your rotation that has worked all, all season long. And so we, you can see that pretty clearly when you watch them and how they're playing on the floor. But beyond that, you can definitely see it um, uh, bear itself out in the numbers. Like I mentioned, IT's uh, just general numbers are not looking very good. It di- and on top, and additionally, Denver's offense is 16.6 points per 100 possessions worse with IT on the floor versus with him off the floor, which is a wide wide golf it puts him at the very very bottom of the league when it comes to on off and how you um, affect your team when you're on versus off the floor and it's just kind of worth realizing that and a lot of this is because of um the way it plays the game how he's how he plays stylistically offensively compared to how the nuggets play stylistically offensively already and in general and so um, like the Warriors' issues with Boogie, you can see that Denver's kind of working to get him integrated, working to get him to knock the rust off, working to get him better and better and more comfortable playing in their system and playing with their guys. Um, but as we inch closer and closer to the playoffs, it becomes more and more worrisome. Is he gonna? Is he gonna integrate? Is he gonna work? Or do they need to be willing to cut his minutes, especially come playoff time? Obviously, it was a was a low salary number risk for the Nuggets and completely worth the the risk. But. Um, they're, they're a young team that's played really, really well all season and is, and is a solid position to have, you know, a home court advantage for a couple rounds in the playoffs and be able to push deeper into the playoffs based on what they get home court advantage-wise and their style of play. But you have to contrast that with, you know, their youths. This is a, youth, a young core of de- of, uh, uh, for the Nuggets that hasn't, the core hasn't made the playoffs together. They do have guys in the core that have made the playoffs like Paul Millsap and whatnot it has obviously made the playoffs but and so we're seeing them struggle down the season down down the end of the season as we come um there's there's questions about if their defense will hold up once they get to the playoffs and all that stuff and i think the worrying about it's integration only adds to those where um you would hope that they would be using this time to kind of like the war like i said with the warriors this is the time for these top contenders to be able to work out all the kinks both offensive and defensively and kind of really lock into what they're going to do in the playoffs how they're going to attack other teams how they're going to scheme and all that but because they're trying to integrate these old stars it kind of takes away from that ability to hone in and kind of really set themselves up well and so is that going to present an issue come playoff time you know you would hope not if you're fans of these teams if you're not fans of these teams you would hope it does and so we'll kind of see how that play play uh play out plays out sorry i do think that denver's going to find success in the playoffs and that their style is going to continue to work 
I would hope to see that IT play less and less and only really come in when they need a jolt. Maybe they need a guy who can score one-on-one, but because of his limited effectiveness and because of what that injury has done to him, there's no guarantee that he's going to be that guy consistently, and so it's definitely a risk if you're going to keep putting him out there and throwing him out there and throwing him out there while while taking minutes away from lineups and guys and players that you know work and you know are going to run your system and kind of improve your team and move you guys forward the way you want to be. So it'll be interesting to see um, how Mike Malone manages this rotation comes playoff time. Does he take minutes away from IT? Does he go all the way in on IT when it comes to the playoffs? All that stuff. um, I definitely think it's worth watching for. And based on the Nuggets matchup for the first round, how that plays out and how how they specifically attack that. Um, moving on um, to, you know, they've been talked about a ton, and they're, they're the topic du jour because LeBron is there. But we do have to, I do want to talk about the Lakers and kind of break down their situation and and, and, and kind of try and understand more, like what led them to this point. Do they have a way to get away from this point? Should we be, um, as a lot of people uh, have been doing, just smashing the panic button and saying this? This is an immediately uh, just an absolute total mistake and should should never have been done by LeBron. But um, we'll see. So to, to kind of to kind of frame frame the the conversation, frame the issue. Uh, the the Laker Lakerland is kind of on fire right now. Um, uh, uh, the Lakers have lost uh, five in a row and eight of their last ten. Uh, they were they've fallen all the way from sixth in the West on Christmas Day down to eleventh. Uh, as of recording this morning, including uh, seven games out of the eighth spot uh, with only 16 games to go. Um, on top of that, it seems like they've kind of, the Lakers have kind of uh, put the white flag in when it comes to making the playoff race. They've announced that there's going to be a minute restriction and no back-to-backs for LeBron for the rest of the season. Uh, they've also shut down Lonzo for the rest of the season due to his nagging ankle injury. And then this is interesting. I'm going to go a little bit on this too. They've also shut down Brandon Ingram due to due to what they're saying is deep venous thrombosis, which is an injury in his shoulder. He was reporting, um, or his shoulder, upper arm area. He was reporting pain in that area. Um, It hurt to lift it. Um, And the reason why um, it's kind of important to talk about this is deep venous thrombosis is is a situation where it's usually indicative of a larger issue at play. This isn't something that you would see young, active people um, be diagnosed with and be dealing with. Um, so given the fact that Brandon Ingram is a NBA basketball player, this is a pretty surprising development um, to have this. And it could possibly link to larger issues, which is not good. Um, specifically, it, it, another way to think about it is this could be caused by and could indicate that there are blood clots, um, which we saw a couple years ago, effectively ended Chris's Chris Bosch's career just because of the risk presented by blood, blood clots and what could happen in the middle of a game if there's a flare-up or if they keep... Um, blood for moving, obviously, and, and the issues that presents. And so I think um, it's worth monitoring this Brandon Ingram situation now very closely. Um, you know, it's good for the Lakers to precautionarily shut him down to figure this out and hopefully get this taken care of. But um, if this is a long-term issue that's based in the fact that he's got blood clots, it's going to put them in a tough situation going forward. And the future of his career could be in jeopardy. So this is definitely a serious, you know, there is plenty of of chaos and stu- messy stuff in the Lakers that in the Lakers situation that you can make fun of, you know, Genie Bus saying fake news, all this kind of stuff. Um, but the Brandon Ingram situation is not something to laugh about. This could be very serious, and it could be something that might put a hamper on his career, if not an end, um, depending on the seriousness of the issue. And so, um, it definitely should be treated the white the right way. But the Lakers have obviously. 
um, with these these guys, um, these minutes restrictions, these guys being shut down. Um, these are three, you know, LeBron is their best player. Brandon Ingram's pretty arguably their second best player, and LeBron's and Lonzo's in the top five for them for sure. And so it definitely looks like they're going to be fully in the kind of tank mode slash we're just going to kind of slip, improve our lottery odds. Hopefully that we can slip into the top five and get a better asset or a better player out of it. Um, as they'll probably make a rerun at Anthony Davis and other big free agents at the offseason. Um, but given that, uh, the Lakers have just kind of, it seems like a lot of the moves they made in last offseason and then throughout this and throughout the season has just been the wrong moves. Um, their roster construction I has been off. You know, the general principle that, oh, we're going to put in, put away so that LeBron doesn't necessarily have to be on the ball all the time. We're going to have other playmakers around him. You know, it, it sounded good, um, but in practice, it hasn't worked as well as they, they might have hoped, um, especially given a lot of the playmakers they put around LeBron are guys that could not shoot threes as well, so that LeBron does want to ISO and go, all right, let me run pick and roll, let me attack with four guys around me. They didn't have four guys around to put around him who could consistently shoot, and it and it, it limits LeBron's opportunities, um, which has hurt him. Um, the Anthony, the Rich Paul orchestrating the Anthony Ch- Davis trade demand, and then the Lakers trying to trade their entire team for that significantly backfired. It caused chemistry issues. Actually, forced them to 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 to, to deal Zubek at the trade deadline, which was when when you think about that, that's a self inflicted wound. That was a horrible L. Zubek was one of their better prospects, probably the best center on their roster too. And then you just had to deal him because you just you 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 just ruined that relationship. You burned that bridge with the trade request and the and the and the aggressive moves for Anthony Davis which is which it's which is the correct move it's it's correct to go after Anthony Davis strong but the fact that they were leaking the trade details and always talking about how many people they were offering and making the, all this clear it kind of you know it 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 not surprisingly put a um put the onus and made the players angry and and strained the chemistry and it strained to the point where they just had to get rid of Zubek and they didn't get much back um, you know, they ended up trading Michael Beasley, who got immediately waived, and Beasley was clearly a, 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 a miss signing when it came down to it. And so we have a, we have had a lot of things at play with this season that look wrong. You know, the general construction of the team doesn't look great. How they handled the Anthony Davis situation doesn't look great. Um, Magic Johnson and Rob Polinka are looking at times like they might be a little bit over their head. Um, there's obviously a ton of debates about how much LeBron had his hand in the roster construction and how everything worked, and the fact that he's also the his he owned the Rich Paul agency and his connection to them um, adds an even another level of drama. You've got guys, you know, someone like Bill Simmons who's coming out saying this was a complete and total mistake. The Lakers should maybe even think about trading LeBron in its own. And I and I think that's all well and good to recognize that they have made cons- they've consistently made the wrong move. But when you think about all that, you also have to take into account that prior to LeBron and Lonzo's injuries, these guys, they were sixth, and they were competing in the Western Conference. And while they might not have been where they wanted to be in the top half, they were competing, they were in the playoff hunt, and they were right there, and they were fighting for that that spot, and they just couldn't put it all together. Um, and that injuries could have had a big effect in that. And going forward, you know, if they don't have the poor injury luck, maybe they're okay, you know. LeBron has obviously not 100% been himself this year, but a lot of that also could be part of this, the groin injury and the inability to come back, bounce back from that, which is an, which is an age thing, but it's hard to project and say that this, this, this season would have gone this exact same way if LeBron doesn't get injured like he did. Because if LeBron doesn't get injured, maybe they don't have such a deep swoon like they did. Maybe, maybe they don't make that, maybe 
for whatever reason, Rich Paul makes the Anthony Davis push. Maybe that doesn't happen. Maybe you don't hurt the chemistry. Maybe they do make some trade deadline deals that help the team, but don't break chemistry down. And then maybe they could be in this position where they are. They would be sitting where the Clippers were sitting, where solidly in the playoff hunt. Um, it's it's hard to uh, it's always hard to take these situations and kind of proclaim that it's definitely um, a miss or that something you know we definitely have to hit the panic button when so many small things kind of went wrong where if they had gone right we could have seen something different I definitely think it'll be interesting to see how they play this offseason I think they will if Rob Palinka and Magic have learned from the struggles of the season maybe they they refocus how they build the team around LeBron they need to inspire um, the young guys that they're committed to build to, to them if they're building them or you know trade everybody out for Anthony Davis and just kind of change the make sure that the roster is built for the most success and built to their strengths rather than kind of deciding oh you know LeBron's aging we're going to take a gamble and see if LeBron can play a different way than he's played his entire career but that he might want to play and I think taking that gamble with the limited number probably that LeBron years that LeBron has left as like the most the best player in the league um was was quite the gamble and it's it's clearly hasn't worked out and so we'll have to see how it proceeds um this season and beyond I definitely think it's interesting but we probably um, certainly pretty much certainly won't see the Lakers in the playoffs which is tough um there's definitely people that want to say this is a hit on LeBron's legacy and that, you know, he made eight straight finals in the East and then immediately goes to the West and can't make the playoffs and had a pretty solid young core with Lonzo, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Kuzma. Um, and it, it can definitely, um, it's it makes it that you can definitely question LeBron's legacy, but I don't think that um, we should be we should be so hard. I, I think the basketball media at, at as a general likes to have these swings from oh this is genius to oh this is a dumpster fire and, and nuance is something that can get to get missed out on um often i think that's what we're missing some nuance here moving from the western conference um before wrapping up i did want to talk a little bit um here about trey young um i certainly was someone who um I thought the, the hawks made a mistake when it came to not taking luca and, and just trading back and taking trey young um, and felt a little bit validated with his play in the summer league and his play in the early season. But um, much um, I, I, I find much to my um, enjoyment. I'm definitely happy to see Trey Young put it put it together. But Trey Young has definitely um, kind of grown into his role and figured stuff out. He actually notched his first career triple double last night. He's averaged 23 and nine 23 points and nine assists on 44% three point shooting in February, and is kind of continuing that play so far in March. You can see he's kind of become more confident, and he's really showing what makes him a great player and, and what's going to make him a great player going forward. He's got range out to the, the, the half-court logo. His passing vision and his ability to hit hit guys is, is incredible and is really something to watch. Um, I think that he's he's learned how to play himself and I think that, you know, beyond, beyond after the, you know, the, the he came out the gate um, not great, not as 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 well as he's want to. He's kind of consistently. You can see he's putting that work and he's figuring out the game. He's finding a way to play. He's working on his game and he's improving, and improving, and improving. And we're seeing that kind of pay dividends to the point now where you know there's some people that honestly with his play might vote for him for rookie of the year over Luka Doncic. I think Luka's still uh, the rookie of the year just because of how he's been able to do it consistently. But it's worth noting that Trey has fought his way back into that argument and and, and most certainly should be second and. 
I think he's deserving of a first place vote here or there. I just wouldn't be the one to do that. I mean, you still you still see he has some struggles with his size. Um, he's not as he's not as great of a finisher as we would like. And with that, though, the way that tends to affect his game the most when you watch him play is he tends to pick up his dribble a little too early on drives. It kind of gets stuck in no man land. He likes to pick it up right around the free throw line and then kind of just you know do his two steps into, oh, am I going to, into, like, making a play at the rim or passing, and, and that just gets him in this situation where, like, there's not a passing lane open, he's got to finish over a, a shot blocker, someone who can who can make his finish hard, and that we're seeing these lower finishing numbers, we're seeing a lot of turnovers through this. Um, so that's a, just, that's something to watch him develop, but it's definitely been great to see him kind of embrace his, his almost his Steph Curry-ness. He's taking deep shots. He's getting in people's faces when he knows, when he can, you know, he's being confident. He's got the Atlanta team running hot and exciting and Atlanta has been good. Um, they're kind of figuring out their way to play. Kevin Horta has looked good. John Collins is a, is a legitimate player and could be an all-star sooner rather than later. Um, they've got a great young core there, um, and, and, they're, and they're kind of working away, and, you know, it's always fun to see Vince Carter still lighting it up and getting a dunk and having some athletic plays here, too, in his in his elder age and just kind of seeing how that all works out. So it's definitely a fun time down in Atlanta, and, it's and you know, I think uh, Travis Slank was on, a, um, he was on a podcast with Woj in, like, the last month or so, and I think the way he framed the, uh, the, tra- the draft day trade they made that netted them uh, Trey Young but gave up Luka Doncic was that they thought that the gulf between Doncic and Young wasn't so wide that netting another first-round pick wouldn't cover that gulf and kind of... Um, and that's a good way to think about it. They thought about it as Young and Doncic are close. They, they had they had Doncic higher on their board, but they said Young and Doncic are close enough that if we, are, if we trade back but get a second first-round pick, another first-round pick, which um, if, if the Mavs don't land in the top five, will convey this season, but if not, it'll convey next season. Most likely, because of how how that works, that extra pick, they think they can get the correct value on that other pick too, so that they get more value out of that out of that. And that's 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 the way they would probably that's a good way of thinking of the trade and it's people who analyze the NBA should think of trades in that way and that the extra asset they got is gonna is gonna is gonna you know, fill in the gap between Doncic and Young, and you know, right now it's looking like that gap is not as big as it was looking earlier in the season. The final thing I want to give is just a small tidbit um, before signing off, and it's about the Bucks. Um, the Bucks are playing, have been arguably probably the best team in the league. Um, they're number one in defensive rating, they're second in offensive rating, they're first in net rating. And the tidbit I want to say is historically, teams that rank like this, you know, first or second in offense and defense, and first or second in net rating pretty much historically go on to win the title and when they don't win the title it's because the team they lost to the team that won the title and was first or second in all those ratings as well there's some situations back in the 70s where the bucks had this had this and then they went up against uh the lakers team in the final that was you know you know they were one and ones two and the other one in that one and they played the other team that was one and one two and the other and two and the other so um when it comes to being first or second in defensive rating, offensive rating, and net rating, teams that are that good tend to win the win the championship unless they play teams that are are also in that category with them. And so it's it'll be interesting to see the the Bucks' performance in the playoffs and if they can get this and, and move it to the NBA championship. And uh, like we talked about um, with the chinks in the armor of the Warriors and Boston's having a tough time. 
the the opening is there, and we, it'll be inter- and so the Bucks can take advantage of it. It's it's going to be all about how effective Giannis can be in the playoffs if teams force him to take jumpers, and if he's unable to consistently make those jumpers, that'll put them in a tough position. But it's definitely interesting, given how good they've been in the regular season. Um, we should expect them to at least push into the finals, and and so we'll see if they become the. Uh, the exception that proves the rule that teams that are just topped rating and defensive rating, offensive rating, and net rating win the championship or finish second to another team that's right there with them. So um, I hope you all enjoyed this. It was a pretty good episode. Uh, keep talking to you guys on a weekly basis through the season. Got some exciting draft stuff uh, I'm working on that I'm going to uh, hopefully release You know, around the time the NCAA season finishes up. Um, but yeah, uh, share, uh, subscribe, comment with any uh, questions or feedback, and I'll talk to you guys next week.